Welcome to the Indianola First Growth Group Podcast. This original content from our growth group classes is designed to take you further in your discipleship journey. Our desire is to see you grow to a whole new level. So we are talking tonight about three things. I've got three main points that I want to cover tonight. The first one is we're going to look at Jesus as the image of God. And the key idea that I want you to get from that is that we have to have complete and total dependence on God. We see that in Jesus, that he depended completely on the Father as he was imaging him when he was here on the earth for three years during his ministry. So that's point one. Point two, we're going to look at believers, you and I, being transformed into that same image. Um, And the key idea I want you to get from that is that we are not talking about an outward conformity to a bunch of rules. We are talking about an inward transformation that takes place when we give our life to Jesus. We become a brand new creation in Christ. And so what we're seeing is we're created in the image of God. We're intended, God's intention and purpose for us is to rule and reign in the earth and reflect him, represent him on the earth. So what happens when we get born again is that image is renewed in us. Now we have the opportunity to actually do a good job of it because we have the spirit of God on the inside of us. We've been made a brand new creation. We are not just trying really hard to do the right thing. We are transformed inwardly. We're not just conforming outwardly. So that's the the key idea from the second one. And the third thing we're going to look at is how um, Paul in the, the, mainly in the book of Romans, but he takes the um, first Adam, which Adam means human. He looks at Adam as the first human and Jesus as the second Adam or the second human. And he compares them both. And the key idea I want you to take away from that is that the grace of God is out of all proportion to the fall of man. They don't even compare. So those are our three points and our three key ideas that are going to go along with each one of them. So the first one was we are trans or I'm sorry, Jesus is the image of God. So I want you, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're just going to read verses 1 through 3. So it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, he has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. Verse 3 who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. So he sat down at the right hand of God. So we see a scripture verse there that clearly states that Jesus is the brightness of his glory. He is the express image of his person. In the Amplified Bible, it says he is the perfect imprint and the very image of God's nature. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It starts out saying, The God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Colossians 1.15 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn speaks of his preeminence, the, his position of preeminence. John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. I want you to take note of that phrase, who is in the bosom of the father because that speaks to the intimacy that Jesus had, the communion that he had always with the Father God. He has declared him. He showed, him, he showed us what he looks like. John 17, 6, this is Jesus speaking. I have manifested your name. So basically he's saying, I, I've showed you what God looks like. He's not just saying, hey, God's name is Yahweh. He's manifesting the name of God. Um, and showing the people surrounding him what God looks like. So I'm going to turn to John 14, and this is verses 7 through 11. And Jesus is speaking. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. Remember, we're talking about Jesus being the image of God, representing God perfectly, reflecting the nature of God perfectly. If you had known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So verse 10, I want to reiterate, he says, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, he speaks. You know what that says to me when I read that? Is that Jesus was getting everything he said, everything he did from the Father. Complete, total dependence upon the Father. That is how Jesus was able to image God so perfectly for us, was because God was in him, and he was in communion with him. He, he was in the bosom of the Father. He was so intimate with his Father that he was able to just let the Father walk it out right through him. Complete dependence. So we see from, I read to you, one, two, three, four, five, six different scriptures, and there are more. Those are just the six that I pulled out that tell us undeniably that Jesus is the image of God. And in fact, that he represented him so beautifully and so perfectly that in the first one I read, Hebrews, it calls him the perfect imprint of God, which is an illusion to, I think, I think maybe even some versions say that, that he was stamped with the image of God. And it's an, it's an allusion to back in those days when they had the, the coins and the image. Well, we have coins now that have images of our presidents on them as well. But the, the coins that they used in Rome had the image of Caesar stamped on it. And I believe they even spoke about him being divine in some aspect, the Caesar, whoever was Caesar, because that's how they viewed the kings and the, the rulers in that day was that they were representative of God, 
and that they actually, in some fashion, not only just represented their false god, but they also represented that they were, in fact, divine themselves. So that's where we get the, the, um, also the understanding about humans being made in the image of God because our Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God and that we rule and we reign on the earth. There is an authority that God wants us to have on the earth, but it's always, always an authority that is under the authority of the Father, like we saw with Jesus. I only say what the Father says. I only do what the Father tells me to do. He was so um, committed to his Father and to letting the Father always direct him and and not to do what he wanted to do. It wasn't about, he wasn't, self wasn't on the throne for him. The Father was on the throne for him in his incarnation. So um, back to Caesar being on the coin, that's why when, they tried to trick Jesus and say, you know, should we pay taxes or not? And he said, show me a coin. They show him a coin with that picture of Caesar stamped on it, the perfect imprint stamped on it. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But listen to what the next thing he says is, give to God what is God's. Why did he say that? Because what is God's? Who is stamped with the image of God? We are. We are the ones that are stamped with the image of God because God said we were. He said, I've made human in my own image and likeness. And so what do we give God? If if give the coin that's got the stamp of Caesar on it to Caesar because that belongs to him, and he says, give to God what belongs to him, it's us. We give him our heart. We we let Jesus reign in our heart because the kingdom of God is within us. Remember, the kingdom is not a geographical location. They always talked about kingdoms as the activity of being the king, the activity of the ruling and reigning. So um, this is my question for you. In what way is Jesus the image of God? Is it in his divinity? Because he, he was God, right? Jesus was God. So we always look at that and we go, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. I mean, figure that one out. You know, not 50% God, not 50% man, but 100% God, 100% man. He, okay, so he was God for sure. He was 100% God. But If I'm asking you, in what way is Jesus the image? Was it in his humanity? Was he imaging God because he was a human? Or was he imaging God because he was God? And so this is the the way um, that I heard. I'm going to read you a quote in a minute by a lady. Her name's um, Dr. Carmen Imes. And she wrote a book called Being God's Image. So she argues that... Let's say Jennifer was, uh, we came to church on Sunday, me and Tony are walking down the, the hallway in the church, and we see Jennifer off, a ways off. And I go, nudge Tony, and I'm like, look, there's the image of Jennifer. He would look at me like, that's not the image of Jennifer, that is Jennifer. You know what? God in his divinity, or Jesus, I should say, as the Son of God, as God himself, that part of him that was 100% God, he was not the image of God because he was God. 
God does not need to image himself because he is. Jennifer does not need to go around and say, I'm the image of Jennifer because she is Jennifer. So it was in his humanity that he was imaging God for us and showing us what it means and what it looks like to image God. That's why um, bearing God, she wrote this book, Dr. Carmen Imes, about bearing the name of God, which I've not read, and being the image of God because we are, that's our identity, is we are the image of God. Our purpose is going to flow, our purpose to rule and reign in the earth under the authority of God flows out of our identity. So identity and purpose are both wrapped up in that. So Jesus, being human, is the image, showed us how to do the image of God. It was in his humanity. I want to read to you from Hebrews um, chapter 2, verse 9. And I mainly want to read the footnote on it, but it says, um, you know, we look around and we don't see all things in subjection under our feet yet, do we? We're not, we're in that already, but not yet kingdom. And then verse nine says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he might, by the grace of God, taste death for everyone. So when I read the footnote of those two verses... It says, instead of assuming his intended dominion, intended dominion, God's intention and purpose for us, instead of assuming his intended dominion over creation, man had become a slave, held in bondage by death and Satan. So the eternal son of God appeared in history on earth as Jesus, the man, to provide a way of escape from bondage, access to God's presence, and an entrance into man's intended glory. The reason it says glory, it talks about the glory. Do you guys remember Psalm 8 in reflecting upon Genesis 1 where we find out that humans are the image of God? Psalm 8 says, you have crowned him, man, you have crowned him with glory and honor. That's our glory, that's the glory that God has given to humans. We always think of, oh, no, God's not sharing his glory with us. You know, only God gets the glory. And yes, that is true in some respect. But the Bible very clearly says that mankind, because he says, you are made in my image and in my likeness, that, that mankind has been crowned with glory and honor. He gave that honor and that glory to humans to image God. So it says that, says, um, and an entrance into man's intended glory. Jesus, the man, exalted in glory at God's right hand, occupies the position of dominion intended for men with everything put or to be put in subjection under his feet. So I am not trying to make humans bigger and better, more glorious than what? Um, the Bible says, we are a sinful fallen race. We are. We are weak human flesh. But God, when he looks at humans, he places a very high value on us. So high that he gave the blood of his own son for us. So we don't want to diminish God's view of humans, 
of mankind because he loves us. And he says, not anybody else, but God says that we are crowned with glory and honor because we are made in his image and that he has a plan for us and a purpose for us. And that purpose is for us to reflect him and his nature and his character in the same way that Jesus, the man, did. You know, I heard a preacher one time, and it really, it really made me stop and think because he said, the way he said it was, he said, if you can receive it, there's a man sitting at the right hand of God. I mean, you think about that. You think about the fact that there is right now a man sitting at the right hand of God. Yes, it's Jesus, God, but the man, Jesus, who came and walked on the earth and for three years walked out and showed us what it looks like to be an accurate representative of God and a reflection of who God is, that man was human, 100% human. That's the high value that God places on us. That's the, the worth and the dignity and the calling. It's, be, it's just because God said that we are. It's because of God and, what, and who he is. Not because we're something. We are weak human flesh. We are earthen vessels, the Bible says. The power of God can rest on us, but even though we're weak human vessels... So it's in his humanity that Jesus showed us what God looks like. Tony told me not to knock down the um, stand today with all my papers on it. So what I wanted you to see, key idea about Jesus showing us what it looks like to be the image of God perfectly is that he depended on his father at every step of the way. Adam, on the other hand, the first human, He chose independence. He decided when God said, don't eat from that tree, he decided, I'm going to eat from that tree. I'm going to decide what's good and what's evil. I'm going to be independent. I don't need to depend on God. Jesus said, I'm depending on the Father. And he wouldn't go out on his, do it his own way. So in the kingdom of God, self is not on the throne. King Jesus is on the throne. When I was um, doing Ultimate Journey in phase two, um, there's a portion of it where they talk about being a disciple of Jesus. And it's getting towards the end of the, the phase, and they say there's a lesson. It's called follow me. That's exactly what Jesus said when he went and he found his 12 disciples. He said, come, he said, you know, come follow me. Be a, be a disciple. And then next, there's a chapter that's called, Watch Me. And so the disciples, they all watched Jesus to see how he would conduct himself and what he did and how he interacted with people and what he said. And so they watched him. They watched him heal people. They watched him preach. They watched him do miracles. They, They watched him in word and in, they listened to him in word and in deed. How many of you watched The Chosen or have seen some of The Chosen? Looks like pretty much everybody almost in here. So you, you recall how Matthew, the guy that portrays Matthew, he's always writing notes down as he's following Jesus around and he's writing down notes on his sermons and he's writing down notes on what he did and how he did it. Um, so so the, phase, the phases in this is follow me, watch me, now you. 
so that we can then be the ones that, that uh, follow Jesus and model him. So in the watch me part of it, I imagine I got a, this visual picture of Matthew, you know, walking around, taking notes and writing down every move that Jesus made. Can you imagine if he went up and um, Jesus was healing the, the man that was blind and he spit into some dirt and he made clay and he rubbed it on the man's eyes and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And then another time he just laid hands on somebody and said, be healed. He always did things differently. So I can imagine Matthew writing all that down and then being like, oh, now i got to cross off that first one because that's not right. He did it different this time. And they would have the hardest time if they tried to put Jesus into a formula because Jesus was not going to be put into a formula. He was dependent upon the Father. He was getting his cues from the Father. It's not me that does the works. It's my Father who's in me that's doing the works. So what did they learn? on the watch me part, follow me, watch me, now you. What did they learn about watching Jesus? Oh, you have to depend upon the Father. I can't make a formula up and do it that way every time. I have to just see what God's saying. What does God want me to do? How does God want me to do this? It's complete dependence on the Father for us as disciples now to represent God and to be his image, we must depend on the Father. So that was point one, dependence on the Father. Jesus was the image of God, and that's how he did it. He depended on the Father. It wasn't because he was God, or we could look back and we go, well, yeah, no. Jesus, yeah, he's the image of God, but he's God. Of course, he could do it. We can't do it. Oh, yes, we can. We can do it because we can depend on the Father too. And we've been given the spirit to dwell right on the end. Jesus, you know how Jesus said, the Father's in me and I'm, Philip, how can you say, show me the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he's in me. What, what he tells me to do, I say. What he, you know, he's like, you see the Father when you look at me. We can say the same thing. If we're allowing the spirit of God, if we can get self off the throne and get Jesus on the throne, then we can walk out our life with the spirit of God leading us and guiding us. And we can say, look at me. I, we're, the, we're imaging God. This is what God looks like. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Right? We should be up. This is the Bible. That's what the Bible says. So that's point one, depending upon um, the father, the spirit. Jesus. Point two, we're going to talk about, we saw Jesus as God's image. Now I want to talk to you about us being conformed to the image of Christ. So I said it's not outward conformity, but it's inward transformation. And the key, that's the key idea I want you to see about this. Um, I so appreciated when we, um, Ruthie was here on Sunday and she talked about it's, you know, those three things that make us Pentecostal. And the first one was the authoritative word of God. And the second one was being transformed, that it was, that in experiencing it, not just, I'm just getting the letter of the law and I've got the word and I've memorized it all and I can quote some scriptures to you. And it's all outward. It's all out here. But letting that word of God get in us to where it actually transforms us and we're experiencing it. We're not just reading it, 
but it's become us. It's become who we are, becoming the image of God. And so she talked about that inward transformation that takes place. And I, I just keep hearing, make the tree good. Because you know how Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples, and, and he said, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And he said, a bad tree cannot, cannot, can't do it. A bad tree, a sick, diseased, bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A good tree can produce good fruit. It won't produce bad fruit. You can know the tree by its fruit. Then he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So is, is following Jesus and representing Jesus, is it just about me living a beautifully moral life where I'm forgiving and loving and I'm putting others first, I'm serving others, I'm doing all of those things that we read about in the Sermon on the Mount, which is truly a picture of what it means to image God. But if I'm doing that, is that the end goal? Is that really what God wants is you do that? You live this way. Is, he, is that really what he's after is us outwardly conforming to what he says? Or is he after our heart and inwardly? He wants to make the tree good. He doesn't just, he's not just after good fruit. He is. Good fruit is good, right? It's good. It's a good way to live. It's the way we should be living with self off of the throne and Jesus on the throne. But that's not the end of it. It's close, but the end of it, our goal is for us to be transformed, for us to be conformed to the image of Christ, for it to come from the inside and then work out. I remember hearing um, Darlene Check, and she's one of the musicians from Hillsong. Um, and she was on a, a music CD that I had. And at one point she stops and she's saying a prayer. Powerful, powerful prayer. And what she said in it at one point was, God, I don't want to just look good. I want to be good. And that's what Jesus is after with us being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what it's all about. It's not about us getting saved so we can someday go to heaven and then we're going to be like Jesus. He wants to make the tree good now, and he did, so that beginning now we can start looking like Jesus. And yeah, there's going to be some things that don't get changed while we're here on this earth and that we will be completely 100% conformed to the image of Christ when we get to heaven. But you know, because we, we talk about it's the already, but not yet kingdom. It's already begun, but it's not fully here yet. And so, yeah, there's going to be some, you know, don't expect too much. I'm only human. That's not right. You know, I heard another guy who said, to err, you know, we hear that saying, it says, to err is human, to forgive is divine. He said, that's wrong. To err is fallen. God's original intention for humans is that we should image him. 
His original intention for humans was not for us to have sin and death in our life. That came as a result of the fall. But that's not where he intended. And he, I've, told, I've been saying this over and over again, it is not plan B. He is sticking with plan A. So when Jesus came, he didn't just come to be our savior and to get us a ticket into heaven and then we'll be conformed to the image of God. He came so that we could now be transformed to the image of God and reflect him the way we were always meant to. He did not ever change his mind about his humans. He never did. And he is on the, Jesus came and Jesus came announcing the kingdom because he knew that that's who he was. His mission was not just to save people, to get them in the door of heaven, but his mission was to bring us back to the original intention and the original design that is to be a human walking in the image of God and reflecting him and representing him and ruling and reigning on the earth in his stead and on his behalf perfectly. So when we just put that off for the not yet part, what, I, what I'm thinking is, why do we always focus on the not yet part? You know, we're not there yet. We're just, you know, we can't do that yet. Someday we will. Someday we'll be re representing God, but not yet. What about the already part? What about that part of it? Why do we focus on the negative and not on the positive that Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom is not a place. It represents an activity. So what he was, there, and, and specifically the reign of God. So what Jesus was literally saying was repent because the reign of God is here now. It's already here. And we as believers are empowered to walk in that. Now, not later, now we can walk as representatives of God. So Romans 8, 28 through 30, this is a very well-known verse. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Again, his intention and his design for mankind. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So I've always read that verse, and in my head, I thought, predestined to be conformed. That's in the sweet by and by. I'm finally going to be like Jesus. It starts now. That's what we got saved for. That's the purpose that God made us for. I remember when Pastor Jared taught on the kingdom a while back. He talked, initially he talked about, if you have a tool or some kind of machine, whoever designed that machine and created that machine knows exactly how it's supposed to be used and exactly what its purpose is. And if it's used for a purpose other than that, it's not functioning at its best. It's not functioning according to its original intention and design. But God knows how he made you and what his purpose for you is, and what his design for you is. And he's taking us back to that place through the blood of Jesus and the new creation in Christ. So Romans 8.28 says that we are conformed to the image of Christ. Colossians 3.9 
well, let's start with 10. Well, no, nine. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Renewed in knowledge. How do we get that new man? It's like what Ruthie was talking to us about on Sunday. Renewing our mind to that. The, the uh, references in the margin of my Bible are Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Remember, we're not talking about conformity. We're outward conformity. We're talking about inward transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not just up here, not just knowing the verses up here, but knowing them up here so much so that they've gotten down into our heart and become a part of us. That's inner transformation. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 It says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. We read about that blindness already in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of those who believe not, lest they should see the light of the glorious gospel who being past feeling have given them over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you, believer, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created, now get this, the new man. How many of you are a new man? You've been born again. You're a brand new creation in Christ that you are now a new man. Now listen to what it says about you. That you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's who you are in Christ That's what God sees when he looks at believers who are in Christ. They're brand new humans. Jesus came as the second Adam, the new human, the second human, to make you a brand new human as well so that you can image God. Put off the old man. Put on the new man because the new man is righteous and holy. That's what the Bible says. That's what God says about you and about me as believers, that we are righteous and holy. Why, why do we come and come to church or go to any, anywhere and we don't think we're righteous? We don't, we're like, oh, you know, I'm not righteous. I'm not holy. Yes, you are. We all are in Christ. That's what his mission was. When he came and said the reign of God is here, he's thinking Genesis 1, man created in God's image in righteousness and true holiness, ruling and reigning with God on his behalf and looking like God. That's what Jesus had in his mind. That's the reign, the rule of God was mankind ruling and reigning, just like he said in Genesis chapter 1 when he said, subdue the earth, rule over the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and over everything that creepeth. That was what God's intention was, and that's what Jesus saw. And that's what we need to see. 
We need to see the, who we are in Christ. Second Corinthians, the only thing I want to say about that is put off the old man, put on the new man. The verse right in the middle of that says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's all about getting the word of God built into us inwardly to where we are transformed. We're not just outwardly conforming and outwardly trying to do these things. We're doing them because the tree has been made good and a good tree can't help but produce good fruit. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In Romans, in, in the eighth chapter of Romans, it talks about, well, the whole thing of Romans chapter eight is about comparing the flesh, walking in the flesh, and walking in the spirit. So in Romans um, in chapter eight, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, you know, we are, we are debtors, brethren, but not to the flesh, to live according to the lusts of the flesh. Because if you live according to the lust of the flesh, you will die. Because flesh, sin, self on the throne, it brings death into our life. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So he said, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the misdeeds of the body, then you will truly and genuinely live. So by the Spirit of God, when we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, we're depending on God, right? Right back to the way Jesus did it. Depending on God, depending upon the Spirit of God to do it on the inside of us. We can't do this ourselves. It's always by the Spirit of God. Um, 2 Corinthians, oh, sorry, I've already done that one. So 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's by the Spirit of, it's by the Spirit of God. The footnote in my Bible, it says, beholding as in a mirror connotes reflecting as well as looking into. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we are continually transformed into the same image by the Spirit of the Lord. We then, with ever-increasing glory, reflect what we behold. That's how easy it is, is that if we will just behold Jesus, the glory of God upon Jesus, we will be transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We reflect what we behold. I have a um, quote here from that lady that, that wrote the book I told you about. It says, Scripture invites us to gaze at Christ to learn how to be ourselves. We must undergo transformation so that we can reflect, now get this, who we truly are. That's who we really are. That's who God made us to be. We are made according to his intention and design. And when we gaze at Christ and we are transformed into that same image, that's who we always were meant to be. That's who we truly are, dependent upon God. Psalm 27, it says, 
one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in his presence all the days of my life to behold his beauty and to meditate in his temple. I think in the Amplified, it says to behold his beauty, the sweet attractiveness and the delightful loveliness of Jesus. <laughs> That's beholding Jesus. That's looking at Jesus and being transformed into that image from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. We are transformed as we behold the beauty of the Lord. You know, it's obvious that it's not talking about Jesus' physical appearance. What is the beauty of the Lord? When, when the Bible says something like that, behold the beauty of the Lord and you're going, Kate, if you would just behold the beauty of Jesus, you'll be transformed into that very same image. What does that mean? How do you do that? How do you behold the, what are you looking at when you behold the beauty of the Lord? I mean, it does no good for me to say, you guys, this is how you do it. Just look at Jesus and you're going to be transformed. What are we looking at? His holiness, his moral perfections, right? The fact that he forgave. The fact that when we were still sinners, he died for us. You know, the fact that he taught us to turn the other cheek and, and to treat other people the way that we would like to be treated. All of those things, are they not beautiful? Are those not beautiful and high and holy ideals for us to live up to? They are. That's beholding the beauty of the Lord, looking at these moral perfections and having it um, impact us so much so that we want to be like that. You know, this whole idea of the kingdom of God and what he lays out in the Sermon on the Mount, that does not make sense at all to act in those ways if the reign of God is not here right? You can't act in those ways in a society. It's difficult, isn't it? In a society where not everybody else is acting that way. If everybody's acting that way, it's pretty easy. But if not everybody's acting that way, it makes it really challenging and really hard to do that. We had a good example of that on Sunday when Ruthie told us about that missionary couple. They walked that out in their life. It cost them. The kingdom is not necessarily what we think it should look like. If I'm going to be a part of the kingdom, I want to be a part of a good kingdom. I want to be a part of a kingdom where I'm blessed and I'm, you know, everything's my way. But that's not what the kingdom is. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is get yourself off the throne of your heart and recognize that we have a king and his name is Jesus. And there's a way that he says to act. There's a way that we think looks right, but that's not the way of the king. The way of the king is a way of righteousness, true holiness, and walking in love and forgiveness, and all of those beautiful and high ideals that we just talked about, that's the kingdom of God. But you know what? To our natural eyes, we can look at that kind of a life. I'm going to go and take my little children, and I'm going to raise them in a leper colony? To my natural eyes, that does not look like a kingdom I want to be in. But to my spirit man, to, to someone who's beheld the beauty of Jesus, yeah, that's another matter. 
or to, or to lose her 13-year-old, her, I don't remember all the ages of them, but, but they paid a high price to walk with Jesus and have him on the throne of their hearts and not self on the throne of their hearts. To our natural eyes, it doesn't look like we would want it to look, but to spiritualize, to those of us who see Jesus and see that he is the king, and that for us to put him on the throne of our heart, you know what it's going to mean? Because, because in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, he said, blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied, spiritually prosperous. That's how, he, that's how they amplify out the word blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you know what the promise is? They shall be filled and satisfied. That's what I believe that missionary couple, they, they could get to the end of their life and they could, they could say, we didn't know it was going to cost us our children. We didn't know everything that was going to happen. But we're filled and we're satisfied and there's no regrets. That's the kingdom of God. To the, to the natural man, doesn't make sense at all. But to the spiritual man, it makes all the sense in the world because we see Jesus and we know how he sees us. We know what he's saying to us. So, um, again, the earthen vessels that it talks about, it says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're weak, aren't we? I'm not... I'm not trying to tell you that humans are something that they're not. We are weak and frail, but we have the power of God on the inside of us. But we must depend upon our Father God, upon the Spirit of God on the inside of us, and upon Jesus. Um, so, bottom line, we were never, ever, never, never, never intended or created to live independent from God. He is our source of life. And he said to, if you will lose your life in this world, you'll find it. That's that uh, genuine life that it talked about in Colossians, or I'm sorry, Romans, about if you would just put to, to, to death the misdeeds of the body, then you will truly and genuinely live. That's the blessed life. So in Ultimate Journey, they had this saying, and it said, the crucified life, so which is me get, carrying my cross, the crucified life, self is off the throne, Jesus is on the throne. The crucified life is the birth canal to true life. We don't like the looks of that, do we, to our natural mind? But that's the way to have true life. That's the way to image God and represent him and walk in true life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, You have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We're dead. When you get born again, it's not, I'm just going to add Jesus to my life. I, it's, I'm going to give my life to him. I'm dead to sin, but alive to God. It's an exchange of my life for the life of God. The crucified life is the birth canal to true life. Um, I do have an article here that I wanted to read to you, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to. But 
Um, if anybody's interested in having a copy of this, if you will see me afterward, I'll have you write your name down, and next week I'll have a copy of these, this whole article. But it talks about making the tree good. Well, a little bit. It talks about a lot of stuff, but it just says one thing about that, um, that that's what God's after is transformation of our whole being, not just, you know, it didn't work in the Old Testament to just conform to a written code of law, did it? It didn't work. It's not going to work now. We have to be transformed completely, inwardly transformed in order to live this Christian life. So point number three, um, Paul um, looks at Jesus, the second Adam, what does the word Adam mean, the name Adam? What is the literal translation of the name Adam? Anybody remember? Human. Who? Human. Human, yeah. So Jesus, the second Adam, is Jesus, the second human. Adam was the first human, right? Literally, the first human. Jesus is the second human. And he's opening up a new way for us to be new humans, new creations. So in Romans chapter 5, Paul goes through these verses, and he's comparing um, Adam and what Adam brought to the human race and Jesus and what Jesus brought to the human race. So my key idea in this, um, on this third point, I've got six minutes, is the grace of God that came through Jesus is out of all proportion to the fall of man. So I'm going to read to you on the, I've got to use my Amplified Bible, Romans chapter 5. So I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. While we were yet in weakness, powerless to help ourselves, at the fitting time Christ died for in behalf of the ungodly. Now it's an extraordinary thing for one to give his life, even for an upright man, though perhaps for a noble and lovable and generous benefactor, someone might dare to die. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that when we were still sinners, Christ the Messiah died for us. Therefore, since we are now justified, so I'm starting in verse not, or finishing in verse 9. Since we are now justified and brought into right relationship with God by Christ's blood, how much more certain it is that we shall be saved by him from the indignation and wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, it is much more certain now that we are reconciled that we shall be saved, daily delivered from sin's dominion through his resurrection life. So, Two key words that keep repeating over and over again in Romans chapter 5 is much more. This is what happened with Adam. This is what happened with Jesus. What happened with Jesus is much more than what happened with Adam. So you know what that tells me? We cannot ever say, well, you know, Adam brought sin and death in the world. I'm just a sinner and I'm bound to mess up today because... That's what happened when Adam sinned. So I probably am going to mess up. I'm probably going to sin. And then I'll have to ask God to forgive me. And you know what? I believe 100% in confession of sin and the blood cleansing us from all unrighteousness so that we can continue then to walk in the light. I absolutely 100% believe that there are times when we still sin and we need the blood 
and we can go to God and we can know that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what I am saying is we, we tend to use that as an excuse and we focus more on what happened through Adam than what happened through Jesus. Because if you read through Romans chapter 5, it says in verse 14, Adam was a type or a prefigure of the one to come. In reverse, the former destructive, Adam destructive, the latter, Jesus saving. Destructive, saving. God's free gift is not at all to be compared. You can't even compare it to the trespass. His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. That's what it says in my Amplified Bible. His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. In other words, you can't compare the grace of God to the fall of humankind. You can't compare them. There's no comparison. Many people died through Adam's falling away. Much more did God's grace abound to and for the benefit of many. So, destruction, life-giving, saving. Verse 16, nor is the free gift at all to be compared. Again, you can't compare them to the effect of Adam's sin. What was the effect of Adam's sin? Condemnation, it says right there. It goes on to say it was condemnation, but the free gift of God through Jesus Christ is justification, just as if I'd never sinned. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through Adam. Much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace and the free gift of righteousness. Now listen to this. Much more surely, death reigned through Adam. It did. All the way down, death reigned. Sin and death, sin and death, sin and death. Death reigned through Adam. But much more through the free gift of righteousness will we reign as kings in life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Reign as kings? Where have we heard that before? Was it Genesis 1? where we're supposed to reign as kings in life. Here we are back again. Jesus brought us back to our original intention and purpose to reign as kings in life. Much more through the gift of righteousness. So, so as you read down through all those, you can't compare. You've got destruction on Adam's side. You've got saving on, on Jesus' side. You've got condemnation over here. You've got justification over here. You've got death over here. You've got life over here. You've got sin and death. I don't know, sin and death. And you've got grace on this side. The grace of God is out of all proportion to the fall of man. What that tells me is that the grace of God is sufficient. Even Paul said that. It doesn't matter that I'm a weak human being because when I'm weak, that's when I'm really strong because the grace of God is sufficient for me. When, when Paul said to God, please take this thorn of flesh away from me, three times he begged God to do that. And God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. When you are weak, so Paul said, well, then I'm going to boast in being weak. Because when I'm weak, that's when I'm really strong. Because the grace of God comes. The grace of God is out of all proportion. I don't care what happened with Adam, that sin and death came into the world. What I care about is my Bible tells me that when Jesus died on the cross for me, that his grace came to me. And that grace is out of all proportion to what Adam did. 
The grace of God is greater and sufficient. It is a surpassing provision that he has given us so that, yes, we can reign in life as kings through the abundance of grace that's given to us and the free gift of righteousness that came to us. Do you guys see what Jesus did for us? It wasn't just a ticket to heaven. It wasn't. It was to bring us back to God's original plan and purpose for us to rule and reign in life as kings and queens and to reflect and represent him perfectly. And we are going to do that when we're weak and dependent upon the spirit of God. And we are transformed inwardly, not just conforming outwardly to the law. It's it. It's the law or it's grace. You want to stay under the law? Go ahead. Be my guest. But grace is much better because you're not outwardly performing. You are inwardly transformed and walking in the grace and the provision that God has for us.